0: hello and welcome this is the uc santa cruz news roundup podcast where we talk about the latest news and research from uc santa cruz today we're going to go over a few news items from the past couple of weeks and special treat we've also got some fun stories to tell you oh
1: boy wait till you hear this
0: Adventure. Yeah.
1: Taking it on the road, yeah. basically.
0: I'm Gwen Jordanay, and I'm an editor for UC Santa Cruz News.
1: I'm Dan White. I'm a writer for UC Santa Cruz News.
0: And we're going to talk about the recent news from UC Santa Cruz, all of which you can find at news.ucsc.edu. Yeah. All right, so we're going to dive in. But first, we had a little adventure recently. Some background, something you might not know about UC Santa Cruz, is that NPR's famous duo, the Kitchen Sisters, Nikki Silva and Davian Nelson, are graduates of UCSC. They are award-winning radio and podcast journalists, and they're behind several well-known series you may have heard, including Lost and Found Sound, Hidden Kitchens, and the Sonic Memorial Project, an audio archive of the World Trade Center. And guess what? We went to a podcasting workshop that was being run by Davia Nelson, who's a Stevenson 75 alumna. We were joined by our colleagues JD Hillard and Maureen Dixon Harrison, both of whom you've you've heard on this podcast if you're a loyal listener. And we trucked up to San Francisco on Monday for an epic
1: voyage. Yes. And not all of it was spent in traffic. <laughs> there were times where we actually got About two thirds. 98%. Of it. <laughs> but then we briefly got to shake hands with Davia and think, bye bye, see you. This was great. Yeah. So, you know, in all honesty, we had a great class with her, fascinating hands on experience. Uh, well, not yeah. hands on, but listening about hands on experience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we, uh, we piled in the car and we joined the gridlock um, that was literally from Santa Cruz to. North Beach.
1: <laughs> Dan I could, is
0: looking at me like. I could oh have my walked
1: God. out of the car, friends.
0: Yeah, we could have walked there. I faster. could have
1: walked there and Probably. I'll just meet you up there. I will get there on my own yeah. power.
0: Yeah, Whew, that was gnarly. But anyway, so we got to the city. We arrived at the Zoetrope building, which is owned by famous director
1: Francis Aucalypse Ford Nail, Coppola.
0: My favorite movie of all time. Yep. And we get there. We're like, cool, we're here, finally. We go up the stairs, which are like er, 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 tiny little stairs that like twist around. Those were stairs. I barely even fit on these things. I don't remember seeing any stairs. Oh my god, this is going to be quirky. Uh, It was eccentric, the building,
1: to say the least.
0: However, the workshop was fabulous. Davian Nelson is such a pro. It was wonderful. She was warm and generous with her time. She gave us lots of cool hints. We are going to have to put him to work. She told us how to hold the mic. How to hold the mic. She had this cool pistol grip. It looked like she was shooting a gun, but she was holding her mic with it. It was awesome.
1: There was so much.
0: Yeah, there was just so much good information, and everybody in there was just absorbing it like a sponge and asking lots of questions. And it was just great. And it was just so cool to be in her presence. It was really fun. And uh, we learned a lot. And we're going to put all that to use and start giving some excellent podcasts to y'all.
1: Starting right right now. Now.
0: (laughs) All right. So that's that. That's a little tale from our lives. And um, let's move on. I've I've got some really good news in here. In fact, I think you've got some good stories Uh, as well. So first of all you all know, UC Santa Cruz is located near the elephant seal colony that established itself up at Año Nuevo, which is just a little ways up the coast. Um, It established itself there in 1961, a long time ago. And our researchers have been studying this colony for decades. And they found out really astonishing stuff over the years. Um, And most recently, they discovered that there are these elephant seal supermoms.
1: Incredible. And
0: I feel qualified to talk about this. Because you are a super mom. A super mom. (laughs) Not quite as super as these moms, though. Let me tell you. Most of the pups uh, born at the colony over the span of of five decades or so were produced by a kind of small number of long-lived super moms, according to a new study by UCSC researchers. Only 6% of the females at the Año Nuevo Rookery gave birth to 10 or more pups during their lifetimes. And these super moms accounted for more than half of the total pup production. The reason for this is kind of sad. It turns out that three-quarters of females die before reaching maturity and, and never breed at all. Of the ones that do survive to maturity, most only breed one to three times before they die. So there aren't a lot of supermoms, but they have a tremendous influence on the next generation. The longest-lived female in the study lived to age 23. Look at her. She was a grandma and produced 17 pups in her lifetime. Another supermom produced pups in 16 consecutive years. Those are some strong girls. Yes. Female elephant seals give birth annually to a single pup in winter. They spend four weeks on the beach nursing their pup, relying entirely on stored reserves. Can you imagine four weeks no food?
1: Yes, and I've seen them lollygagging on that beach during yeah. that period of time where they don't really move a flipper. They just sort of sit there because they're conserving. Oh, They just that makes sit sense. there like lumps. Yeah, I've I've seen it happen.
0: Okay. So they they do they um, nurse on the beach for four weeks. Um, just on their stored reserves before weaning the pup and heading out to see, to feed, finally. Lifetime reproductive success is an important measure of evolutionary fitness, a central concept in natural selection. Well, uh, I don't know, maybe we could get them all some minivans.
1: Little strollers so and things.
0: Those moms could uh, we could just help them out with some some minivans.
1: I wish I could do my part to make <laughs> life easier. It's got to be so hard to be an elephant seal because everywhere you go has got to be pretty sharky, right? Yeah. I feel like white you know, sharks if we parked
0: there? a minivan on the beach, I bet the male elephant seals would be like, "Oh no, there's another male," because they're like as oh, big as minivans. <laughs>
1: that's right. They would attack. <laughs> they would. You know, they would probably win. They probably minivans would. Are made of that flimsy kind of a sheeting that material. That is
0: absolutely true. All right. So, um, good luck to you, super moms.
1: We appreciate you.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So today is September twentieth, and that's remarkable because it's the day of the massive climate action strike in March oh, I've been today. Hearing
1: all about this. I know.
0: I've been seeing pictures of people flooding massive, massive areas of cities. Our young people are talking and voting with their feet, and we need to listen to them, according to a professor who says this wave of activism has been building for decades. Really famous people like Greta and Malala get the headlines, but Mm -hmm. for every young leader on a magazine cover, thousands more are working tirelessly for causes like climate justice, racial and gender equality, LGBTQ rights, and economic change. And that's the message from Jessica Taft, a leading scholar on youth activism, who says today's young leaders are building on the legacy of those before them who helped desegregate the South, reformed education in Chile, and won rights for working youth in Bolivia. Around the world, we're seeing children and youth engage as social, political, and economic actors, demonstrating their capacity to help make social change. Says Taft, who is an associate professor of Latin American and Latino studies at UC Santa Cruz. Adults make a lot of assumptions about children and what they're capable of, and those assumptions are are often false.
1: That's so true. Yeah. Yes, I have a feeling that we ignore these younger people at our own peril. Us people who are not quite that age anymore. I feel like they're going to hold us accountable. And they should. They should. And it's Especially kind of sobering to think our, about.
0: Our leaders who seem somewhat mired.
1: Seem completely out of touch with these people. It's like, oh, they're so naive and young. But yeah. those kids who are going to have the power soon enough are going to, um, I don't know. Yeah. They're going to fix accounts if we don't listen to them. Yeah. So,
0: Youth in the United States are organizing around causes they believe in, including high-profile efforts like today's international climate strike, the campaign for gun control being led by survivors of the Parkland high school shooting, and a campaign to lower the voting age to 16 in San Francisco. Yes. Yeah.
1: I hadn't heard that.
0: I hadn't heard that either, but that's cool. These youth leaders are pushing back on the idea of age being a criteria for political involvement, says Taft. There's a stubborn resistance to treating young people's political activism as normal. But the truth is that it's neither extraordinary nor exceptional, she says. Children and youth are not on the sidelines. They are protagonists in the fight for their rights and their well-being.
1: And their voices are going to rise. They're going to continue to rise and they will not be denied.
0: And they have that right because she's right. It is for their well-being.
1: And people who scoff at these young people are going to look ridiculous yeah. and history will, they'll be on the wrong side of history as well. So yes.
0: Yeah. So go I, young people. You and I are cheering them on Dan.
1: I am. I'm trying to, I will try not to cheer them on from the sidelines. I would like to help in yeah. any way I can. So yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So now I've got a few rankings I want to compa- com- I want to convey it's the rank and file.
1: Yeah. Got it. I like it. <laughs> But I'm bumped.
0: Okay, so first, reflecting a campus-wide commitment to the long-term health of the earth, which we were just discussing, Mm -hmm. UC Santa Cruz is among Sierra Magazine's top 25 cool schools Mm -hmm. for 2019.
1: So, yay. That's a big deal. I know. It's hard to get included. You need to really excel to get included.
0: Yeah. Yep. The campus earned high marks for research, curriculum, and transportation. Next... UC Santa Cruz is among the top 200 research universities in the world. world. Can you believe Jinx. that? Yep. That's amazing. And that's according to the latest analysis published by Times Higher Education, T H E, the. The. It's the. That's... So it's ranked by the. The.
1: The. the. <laughs> it's kind of catchy. Isn't
0: that a band name?
1: There is a band name called the. The. the, the. I remember them. They were kind of intense and disturbing. <laughs> okay. I, I have their debut record. I don't, don't listen to it very much anymore. It freaks me um, out.
0: Hmm, I never did. The World University Rankings 2020 put the campus number 179 among 1,396 worldwide institutions evaluated. So that's yep. pretty darn high.
1: Yep. By the way, do you, know, you remember the name of the you know the guitarist from the? the was actually Johnny Marr of the Smiths.
0: No, really. Heck yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Who knew?
1: I'd better Dan be did. right. This is exactly <laughs> the kind of trivia that a Smiths fanatic will listen to in Sam But No, I'm sure that I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm sure we'll get emails. Yeah.
0: All right, and last, UC Santa Cruz debuted as the second best university in the country. Whoa. For social mobility, according to the 2020 U.S. News and World Report rankings, the first-ever social mobility list measures how well universities graduated students who received federal Pell grants, which are typically awarded to students who come from households that earn less than $50,000 annually. Um, so, you know, the University of California is a is an equalizer for students from low-income families. They go on to earn as much as students who come from middle-income families, and their earnings double by a decade after graduation.
1: That is really inspiring to hear about
0: that. So all this is just great recognition for UCSC, and it should make students, alumni, staff, faculty, it should make the whole community proud. makes me proud.
1: It makes me proud, too.
0: Okay, so that's it for me. What's on your news radar, Dan?
1: So much happening. You know, move-in oh, uh, yeah. weekend is. I, I helped. I think I threw out my entire back just now. Uh, just I think,
0: now? Oh,
1: no. Well, no, I, I didn't really. I think I, I think I threw it back in after moving <laughs> a second suitcase. I, I'm not sure if these kids are moving in bricks or I don't know, but there's so much people shoving possessions up the hill anyway, but <laughs> in, in other, it's aside from, aside from moving weekend, um, now the west side of Santa Cruz, as you know, Gwen, has so much going for it. We've yeah. got, what, 18 different breweries? Yeah. 98. It's a brewery 90, every yeah. other foot. We've yeah, got uh, wineries, gorgeous views uh, of the ocean, but on top of all that, the west side of Santa Cruz now has an internationally recognized genomics institute, Whoa. namely UC Santa Cruz is Sitting right there on the west side of town, and folks, I mean off campus, right there in the west side. That's right. Roughly 20 years after UC Santa Cruz researchers made history by assembling the first human genome sequence, the campus has formally established the UC Santa Cruz Genomics Institute as an organized research unit which provides support for disciplinary and collaborative research in genomics across multiple departments. Now that announcement closely coincides with the opening, the relocation of this uh, institute to Delaware Avenue Mm -hmm. on the west side. So it now hosts about 80 of the institute's researchers and technical administrative staff. It's really important to remember that UC Santa Cruz Genomics is really a leader, truly a pioneer, and the researchers have been recognized all over the globe as leaders, as, as people who are trendsetters in big data analytics. The work includes developing platforms and tech to uh, analyze and store and share vast amounts of genomic data. Now, a little bit of trivia for you. Institute is being housed in a facility that was acquired by the university in 2004 and used to be the home of Texas Instruments. (laughs) Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. We used to work right near there. In fact, a growing number of research labs have moved into that complex over the past few years, including one of them that that specializes in material science and engineering, also labs for robotics and smart car research. Uh, They're being readied for uh, occupation in the near future. It's a big old deal, by the way. And... uh, Dean of Baskin School of Engineering points out that the formal establishment of the Genomic Institute and its relocation to the Delaware Research Complex demonstrates the campus's strong commitment to genomics. But it's also great for the community because it can foster sharing with the Santa Cruz tech industry. So this is a big old deal.
0: Yeah. Very. This is incredibly cool, yep. and it'll probably make that area even hipper and cooler. Well, very <laughs> cool that the Genomics Institute has moved there, and we'll be able to do even more.
1: In other news, I want to point out that people right at UC Santa Cruz are doing their part for the environment. How many of you hate plastic bags. I use them and I hate them. Yes, my yeah, you can't waste. see my hands are in the air. I I keep I'm starting to feel guilty about this people. I every time I use a plastic bag or like a little baggie for my food, I think this momentary use that I'm yeah. using is going to so biodegrade waste. never.
0: Can you believe? I, like how did we ever think this was fine to just do? I
1: whoever invented this is a jerk. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> plastic bag inventor Thumb- Die.
0: Better, right?
1: <laughs> Thumb- <laughs> at least you'll biodegrade, unlike your invention. <laughs> no <laughs> Gwen, I'm not sure yeah. if I told you this, but I used to be a bag boy at Safeway and oh, Vaughn's grocery plastic. store all day long. The only words I ever said to anybody were paper and plastic. Well, lately, the only option is paper because more communities are getting with the program and. Banning plastic bags. Yay. This is going to be happening at UC Santa Cruz. This is, actually, it's happening now at UC Santa Cruz's Bay Tree Bookstore, which announced that as of Wednesday, September 18th, plastic shopping bags will no longer be offered during checkout in the Good store. You can beg for them. Can I please have plastic? No. You're going to get a no. You're going to absolutely yeah. not get a plastic. Bag, but here's the cool thing. There will be these new sustainable and reusable UC Santa Cruz branded bags that will be offered to customers for the price of 99 cents, otherwise known as a dollar. Super cheap. The kickoff of the shopping bag, they, there are uh, there 5,000 uh, bags to be distributed to new frosh and transfer students during the big move-in weekend. So now you see how Santa Cruz is continuing to strive towards zero waste in spite of lingering challenges posed by things like the uh, constriction of the international recycling market. I didn't mm. know about that. Yeah. Stop constricting, market. Come on. Get with the program. As well as uh, some other some uh, other challenges we're trying really hard to get to that zero waste. Um, we're trying to get to the point where um, by 2025 we're going to have a very drastic um, uh, lessening of total landfill waste. Right. So this okay. is really important step because uh, it's important for a campus like this, which is a trend center in so many sustainable things, to really put to to really show by example, right? Which I think we're doing. Totally. Yeah. And- Way to go. And uh, just in other news, I had uh, the opportunity to see uh, Colson Whitehead, the wonderful yes, fiction uh, writer, yes. speak Tell at me about it. Peace United Church. He is the best selling author. Many of you may know him from The Underground Railroad, which yeah. is so good. part realistic and kind of speculative with a bit of mm-hmm. sci fi and horror, a look at uh, slavery in the United States and uh, really a heart-rending but just very creative and gripping book. This uh, new book that he has is uh, called um, Nickel Boys, and it takes place much more recently, actually during the height of the civil rights movement. Mm. So the 60s? Well, and also even a little bit before the way that the uh, the book is set, but in continuing almost to the present, there was this so-called reform school in uh, segregated Tallahassee, uh, Florida, uh, that was just really horrifically mistreating the people who were trapped there, uh, disproportionately the African American kids who were stuck and this there. This was a real school. This was a real, actual school, uh, a grotesque chamber of horrors with truly sadistic staff operating with impunity. Right? And so he based his fictional Nickel Academy on a real place. And to tell the story, he has these two characters Elwood, who's very idealistic, who's steeped in the ideas of Martin Luther King and throw us in jail, we'll still love you, and the much more cynical and practical Turner. They're both stuck there together. And their friendship, as well as the sort of tension between them and their new their two philosophies. He uses these two boys to tell the story of this just horrific reform school in Florida that warped the lives of thousands of children over the years. And Colson Whitehead told the audience uh, that he had a chance to actually fly down to Florida and see the, uh, the ruins of the actual place, which shut down very recently because of public outcry. And he said he couldn't get on Mm. the plane and do it because uh, just immersing himself in the facts of the story and in, in a deeper engagement by creating these fictitious characters to engage. He, he said he just couldn't do it. It was just too heavy on his heart. Mm. And so um, just he uh, had a really uh, an incredible reading from a chapter in the book where he talked about uh, the fact that in these academies, in the, in this this reform school, in the story, they would have these fights often pitting African-American and white students against each other. And sometimes the fights were rigged in horrible, corrupt ways. And what happened when they, mm-hmm. when they throw a fight and it just, it was, a uh, it was absolutely silent when he was reading that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And he filled the place, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. uh, Great. it was, it was, it was really, um, and this was, uh, you know, Humanities Institute out there representing for UC Santa Cruz. Right, Bookshop Coast-
0: Santa Cruz and the Humanities Institute partnering up to do this and lots of other cool yeah.
1: stuff. Yeah. And I should point out they're co presenting an event that I've got a hand in, um, Litquake Santa Cruz, coming for the first time to Santa Cruz. The Litquake, uh, the literary festival, is coming to Bookshop Santa Cruz October 15th. Uh, starting at 7 p.m. with a whole slew of UC Santa Cruz affiliated people who will be reading that night an all star cast of authors. So I hope you can come out. And that's going to be co-presented by Litquake and the Humanities Institute. Yeah.
0: Check out events.ucsc.edu for more. Thank you for that um, recap. Of Absolutely. That sounded amazing. Well, cool. We will sign off. Thank you for being here. Good as always to have you with us, and we will see you. We'll see you next time. All
1: right. See you next time, everybody.
0: All right. Bye.